Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. So we've listed all these perils, and it kind of comes to its full place today, and it's simply this. What do you do about them? I mean, there's dangers, so how do you address them? Now, the problem in the Scripture is this, that if you go to Exodus chapter 20, and you read Exodus chapter 20, there's no point in the Decalogue, that's what we call the Ten Commandments, where it says, thou shalt not, right? That's not difficult to apply as it comes to murder. We understand what murder is, thou shalt not kill, that's the context of that. And so it does not matter the technological innovations that come along, right? Whether it be the broadsword, or whether it be the dagger, or whether it be the pistol, the rifle, uh, to kill someone is still murder, and it's a violation of that tenet of the Decalogue, and we can understand that. That broad command keeps up, expresses, over, uh, overcasts, overshadows any technological innovation that exists. Uh, the same thing with thou shalt not steal. It wouldn't really matter what it is. Uh, I don't know that any of the Hebrews that received that portion of the Decalogue would look at it and say, <clears throat> does that include cryptocurrency? That yeah, wasn't a thing then. But nevertheless, the principle, the law, is so overstated, so pointed, so broad that it extends beyond uh, the paradigm of technological innovation. So it doesn't matter, thou shalt not steal. And that list could go on in perpetual. But what do you do with the digital age? And this is where it's important for a Bible student to have an understanding of the distinctions between the implicit and the explicit revelation of God's Word. Let me give those to you again. Implicit and explicit. Let's start with explicit. Explicit means that which is clearly articulated. So if we're looking to know whether or not we, if we're looking to understand whether or not it's God's will for us to kill somebody, right? What would be the answer? All right, you've all told me no. Why? All right, we got thou shall not kill. Can you think of any others? You'd be a little bit broad with it. Shedding innocent blood. That's condemned in Scripture as Genesis 9, 6. You could, you could also think about uh, the passage we're going to speak on in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, but where he talks about avenging not yourselves, be not overcome with evil, but be overcome with, with, with good. And so there's numerous places in scriptures you can look at it, and God has made it explicit. Does he want you to kill? No. So then I conform my actions around that. So first I thought, what does the scripture say upon this? Explicit, that's a no-no. Ergo, I conform my actions the next step, I conform my actions and I look and say, because God said, don't do this, my actions should what? Not do that. And then I can know I can be right with God and man. That's explicit. Anywhere God is pointedly said, thou shalt or thou shalt not. Now, here's an interesting question. What do you do <clears throat> with the very few areas, there's obviously not many of them, where it's not explicit? Now, I'm being facetious a little bit. If you've lived any length of time, you come across this problem where you can't give a chapter and verse. You can't look at one point and say, black and white, right there it is. No, because the Word of God, we don't look at it as only explicit. There's also implicit. 
By the way, many things are like that in Scripture. I think, for instance, in the book of, of, uh, of uh, Esther, there's no mention of the name of God anywhere in the book of Esther. But is he implied? Absolutely he's implied. His sovereignty smacks from beginning to end. Absolutely. Another word, you'll find no word of Trinity anywhere from Genesis to Revolutions, uh, Revelations. You won't find it. Does that mean the Trinity does not exist? No, it is implied in many scriptures. For instance, we could go to 1 Peter and he talks about your salvation being according to the foreknowledge of God by the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ by the sanctification of the Holy Ghost. What do you have there? You have the implicit theology of the Trinity. You have it in Genesis 1.26 when God said unto himself, let us make man in his own image. <clears throat> if God intended to only speak to himself, he would not have said, let us make man in our own image. He would have said, let me make man in mine own image. It's implicit. Now, friend, here's where the rubber meets the road. There is no decision that you have to make in this life where God is not giving you either explicitly or implicitly the truths that you need in this life. So then when you get to the implicit things, you really get to principles of the Word of God. And you would be a very foolish child of God, so would I, if we did not heed the implicit precepts, the principles of the Word of God in life. So as we look at this thing, this morning, the dangers, how do we, what do we do? We're talking about some principles, some implicit truths. And they're true not only about this particular area, but they can be applied to broader areas as well. Notice, if you will, your notes, a word to the wise. Proverbs chapter 9 and Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs 21 and verse 11. When the scorner is punished... When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, what does he do? Now, there's a whole bunch of that. We've talked about this simple man all the time, right? The simple is discerned because he is what? Or because, he, because of what might happen to him or will happen to him. The hallmark of the simple is he's seducible. There's an area or areas that he does not know and has not mastered, and therefore, he can be deceived. Now, before you get to thinking about somebody you know that might be gullible, keep in mind a singular truth. We are all born simpletons. Every last one of us. And if we were really honest with ourselves, and I think a wise person has to admit this. He has to be honest with himself. There's something today that you're still simple about. There's still some things today that you're unsure about. Things you don't know. And so in those areas, you could be deceived. You could be seduced. But we've not dealt much with what a scorner is. What's a scorner? A scorner is the worst kind of a foolish individual. If you wanted to titrate the level of folly uh, that exists in the Proverbs, the simpleton would be something everybody's born at. But then as you receive instruction, you have the opportunity 
in which you're not simple in those areas. As you receive knowledge and instruction, you now have a choice to make in life. And that is that first divergence. A simpleton that receives some knowledge and heeds that knowledge graduates in life to a wise man. The simpleton that can be seduced and receives knowledge and refuses to comply with said knowledge, he's no longer simpleton. He's graduated to a new level called a fool. But that's not the end of it. The fool can graduate to the scorner. The scorner's the one that looks at all wisdom and rejects it because he is the source of his own truth and wisdom. And friend, in the scriptures, God has a particular disdain for a scorner <clears throat> who confronted with the word of God will absolutely defy its truth. He is the worst kind of a fool. And that's what he's talking here. When the scorner is punished, that individual that's proclaimed his own truth, his own righteousness, his own hope, his own aspiration, when he's punished, the simple man looks at it and he graduates in life. He's made wise. When the wise is instructed, what does he do? Hence, I'm taking from this the title this morning, A Word to the Wise. One more passage over in Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man. And what's the promise? Word to the wise. I'd hear my granddad now. Son, a word to the wise is sufficient. You know what he's telling you? I don't need to labor on this. If you're a wise man, you're going to take this word, you're going to make application in your life. It's sufficient. He will increase in learning. To our notes, with the arrival of the digital age, the digital age, many dangers are present. Simply warning about the impending danger is not sufficient. We must have some biblical principles, call them implicit or implied truths, to direct us. If we fail to embrace biblical principles, we have here Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, the last part of it. We certainly will lean to our own understanding. And that's really where it's going to come from in life. When we have a decision to be made, you have two sources. You're either going to seek God's wisdom and principles from the Word of God, or you're going to do and receive, therefore, whatever knowledge you've gained. That's what happens a lot of times today. You know, parents will leave off the Word of God as it comes, and they'll look to the current trendy magazines. You've got two sources of wisdom. Marriages do the same thing. People in so many areas of life make decisions in these regards, but the Bible touches on every aspect of your life. So from whence is going to come this? It will either come from the Word of Truth, which is eternal and timeless, or it will come by leaning to our own understanding. Can I, I might add one more thing to that. Sometimes one of the most dangerous things for a believer to say is, here's what I think about it. I've got a decision to be made. This is what I like, I feel, I think. Let me ask you a question. Are you eternal? 
Are you timeless? Are you the only wise one? So really, in a lot of decisions of life, what really should we say? Here's what God wants. Here's what God thinks. This is what I must do. Failure to have that proper contemplation or thinking always directs us to make decisions that aren't what they're supposed to be. I digress. Ultimately, we will submit, if we lean to our own understanding, to the frailties of our own heart. Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 17 here, speaks about our heart being deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So we'll either submit to the frailties of our own heart or the pressures of society. Verse John, he speaks of it, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of, pride, the lust of life, the pride of life, not of the Father's world, the world pass away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Therefore, we must secure our decisions, whatever they may be, about practically any topic in life, in biblical timeless truths. It is the only way to have hope <clears throat> in this life. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, he makes a profound statement, the scripture does. In verse 16 it said, By doing these things thou shalt save thyself and those that hear thee. That is the end result. When I have received biblical instruction and embraced it in my life, even though it was contrary to my flesh, it will always be contrary to my flesh. Biblical truth will always be contrary to my flesh. Amen? Always. So when the Bible and its principles rub you the wrong way, just turn around. Let Him have His way with you. Because when you'll embrace biblical truth, even when your flesh doesn't like it, it will preserve you. And number two, now that you've learned something, you have knowledge. And as you disseminate that knowledge, what will that knowledge have the possibility to do to others? Save them. That's the exact instruction Timothy was given. That if you'll give yourself wholly to them, if you'll give yourself to exhortation, to reading, if you'll give yourself to them, the promise was meditate in them. The promise was they shall save you and those that hear thee. And that's still true for you and I today. So how should we combat these perils and dangers <clears throat> that hunt the simple? I think there are two things that we could say specifically. How do we combat all of the perils of technology? And I, I think you'll often hear these two to be possibilities. Number one is abandon usage. Don't do anything with it. <clears throat> kind of, if you will, live like the Amish. Just detach from the world. Unplug. And if you'll do that, it'll be all right. Just, I guess, though, if you're going to unplug, unplug everything. Unplug the electric. Unplug the internet. Unplug the phone lines. Now, we're not down south. Does that preserve the Amish by unplugging? Because of that, do they no longer have drunkenness and evil in their society? Mm -mm. The heart of man will either submit to God or the heart of men will seek evil or devise evil. 
abandoned usage, some would say. Well, I would say regarding much of social media for youth, and in parentheses, I honestly really believe this. You disagree with me, but um, there's a lot of adult, there's a lot of Christian adults that ought to get off social media. They don't know how to scroll past stuff. They get into things they ought not to do. They post things they ought not to post. It seems as though they've lost all wisdom once they've sat at their keyboard behind their phone and they have not thought about how they are perceived by those or by what is perceived by those that read and view their post. Banding usage by some regarding social media, I would simply absolutely agree and just say let it go. Yet, with this age we're in, access to the internet is not going to decrease, but it will increase. It will increase. Abandoning any use of the internet is not only difficult, but in some sense it's short-sighted. Children are going to become adults, and thereby, when they become adults, what will they do? Well, they're going to make their own decisions in life. So prudence as a parent would dictate that we teach some biblical truths in this area. So then the opposite extreme of abandoning would say, oh, well, that means just let them have everything. No, I think the second one is a little bit better of a choice. Limit, limited, accountable, trained usage. And I feel like I could put a couple of other descriptions in there, but limited, accountable, trained usage. As we mentioned before, parents are to train and teach. Uh, many of you as hunters, you would not consider letting your child handle a hunting rifle without some training, nor would you allow them to drive your vehicle without some training. This is the same means by which we must address this great present danger in their life. And keep in mind, as they grow in adults, the danger is still going to be real. You know, we talk about all the things we need to teach our children, Dealing with this dangerous thing that we would call the internet is a real deal issue that must be taught. So with that in mind, let me give you, what is our numbers here? Seven principles this morning. And some of these are applicable really in far more than one area of life. Number one, there is the principle of accountability. The principle of accountability. Proverbs 7 has been a text that we've went to seven, several times, not seven, but several times. You'll remember Solomon says he looks out of, his, out of a window of his house, he looked through his casement, and the scripture says, and he beheld among the simple one a young man void of understanding, and he passes by this, this uh, street near this woman's corner, winter house. But I want you to focus on verse number 9, and I'll read this to you. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Why didn't a young man go there in the daylight? What's that? Sure, but why did he go there at night instead of the daylight? Secrecy. I'd also note that it's him going there. He's all by his lonesome. I submit to you the important principle in life of accountability. And this is not just true just in the internet. It's true with life as well. God did not create you to be a solomia, an only person. That's not how he created. He created you and I with an instinction, a desire for our God and a desire for friendship. 
And so with that, when you think about accountability, I would add this to it in our notes, immaturity accountable to itself or to its peers is the incubation for bad events. In fact, I don't know that much would have been improved if he had just went there with his teenage buddy. I don't know that much would have been improved. Two immature guys, I, just, I don't know. They might have lived, because I don't think this guy lives. You read, read that he talks about his liver being pierced and all that stuff. I don't, I don't know that this, this guy might live, but the end result may not have changed in its whole. So there's a principle of accountability. It is not enough to teach something is bad. We must install lines of demarcation. The overwhelming weight of accountability of the youth falls to the parents. It's important to plead with them. I think of 14 times in seven chapters you have a phrase, my son, with a petition that follows, not unlike this where he says, bow down thine ear. There ought to be accountability. If I was going to do one thing and make one major change as far as uh, advice that I give to families regarding internet and stuff, don't ever let the internet be isolated. Ever. And that includes on these cellular devices. And I'm talking about for young folks primarily. I'm not talking about for adult or adult children. That's a bird of a different feather. But as it relates to that, they're so easy. And by the way, you can be in a room full of people with your cell phone and you are still isolated. They're personal screens. You can quickly toggle back and forth between different apps and different web browser pages. Don't be isolated. Be accountable. Be out in the open. Be in the daylight with it. That's an important principle to combat the peril of temptation that ultimately will occur with this danger of our age. The principle of accountability. Notice the second one, if you will. There's the principle of awareness. In Proverbs chapter 1, in dealing with his son, you find these verses, and probably verse 10 is a very poignant one. My son, if sinners entice thee, I want to point out something about that at times. We'd read the other 15, uh, uh, rest of the verses, but the dad doesn't just simply say, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not, and never instruct him on what a sinner is. He spends the balance of the next verses pointing to him the dangers of certain friends and that they're wicked individuals if, son, they do these things. It's important to instruct early in life that children must be taught that digital devices, particularly those with internet access, are not toys. I realize that you can go to uh, an e-commerce site and you can purchase a kid Kindle. It isn't a toy. It ought to be left with a serious amount of fault behind it. No digital device should be seen as a toy. And I'll be honest with you, um, you, you let your son think or your daughter think, your little child think that everything relating to that Kindle is safe and wholesome and healthy and happy. It won't be long that they'll outgrow all of that and you'll be in a new world and I promise you it will not be healthy, wealthy, and wise. The principle of an awareness. There should be instilled early an awareness that they require some seriousness in life. As, child, as the child grows, parents must make them ever aware of the dangers that lurk 
Only a lack of prudence would allow for danger to be unwarned. The principle of awareness is that child grows and matures and has greater understanding. Take the opportunity, parents, to personally communicate the dangers that are on the world wide web. Number three, there's a principle of authenticity. Now, I specifically put this in here because I think so often we fail to realize there's that old adage of not all that glimmers is gold. You familiar with that? Not everything you see on the internet is real. We spoke a little bit about that last week, but in a greater sense, with the advance of artificial intelligence, fakes are everywhere. Proverbs 5 and verse 18 makes an impactful statement and talks about rejoice, and he's referencing old age, but rejoice with the wife of thy youth. That's the context of Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 18. But let me ask you, simply put, is the wife, if you were married young in age and now you're old in age, is your wife the same person? She looked the same? No. But she's real and genuine. Does your husband look the same? No, he's broken. That's what happened. <laughs> the point I'm conveying is there's a level of genuineness there. I would submit to you that a tremendous amount of stuff that you can get, pictures, memes, videos, they're fakes. October the 7th, 2023, you had the Hamas invasion into Israel. And I would encourage you to take a moment and, and go back. If you have Twitter, you can go back to some of those feeds and look. <clears throat> I don't think in my life, I do not think in my life I've ever seen anything quite waged like that Israeli Hamas thing. They had a conflict on ground, but that was only one battle being waged. There was a conflict online. And I am, in some ways, I've read a little bit about this, I understand a little bit of the history about it, but Hamas had agents and Israel had agents that were engaged in online AI digital battles, AI artificial intelligence. That they would take photographs, particularly Hamas, and they would Photoshop them and using artificial intelligent type technology would have whole videos that could make you think that something happened actually happened. I'll give you one scenario. You remember the bombing of the hospital? Do you remember that? It didn't happen that way. There was nobody in it. The, the rocket that exploded, do you remember that? And it landed in the one place. Doctoring videos, both sides were engaged greatly in trying to prove or disprove or making things. I'm telling you, not everything online is as genuine as you think it is. And that's true even in the areas of morality as well. There's a ton I want to say here, but I best move on. The advance of artificial intelligence fakes are everywhere. In regards to our life, we must, be, we must learn to be content with what we have. We must teach that the allure of the internet and social media are not as valuable as the reality that they read we possess. It's true. 
many a young married man dissatisfied with things gets online and he sees this female and he begins to long in his heart that that female because she seems better would be the female that he has and becomes dissatisfied with his wife. Oh, beware, foolish young man. You know why? She may not even be real. As a regular occurrence in our society. And friend, this is true in everything from decoration to vehicles. The abstract ideal, note this, is an important piece of wisdom. Etch it in your heart. The abstract ideal is always the enemy of the concrete good. People do that all the time. I, I could open up the number of times that I've heard someone talk about church membership and they say, well, they look at all this. I, I, you know, I don't prefer all this the same way. I got a way I'm finding this. This is what I want in life. If I find this kind of church, and so what happens is they never really ever be part of anything. Why? It's an abstract ideal. Sometimes husbands and wives can do that with each other. Calls us not to be thankful. The abstract ideal is the enemy of the concrete good. Number four. What's the fourth principle? Well, I think a fourth principle to do with these perils is to teach the principle of being an example. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth. Be thou an example to the believer. As youth raised in an environment where truth is loved and preached, and by context, that's most, if not all, of the young folks here. There is a great hope that each of those children or youth will come to Christ at an early age. I think that's the desire of every parent's heart. As a young saint of God, they should seek early in their life to be an example for the lost, or I should say to the lost, and the believer of what godliness is in this age. Let's pause for a moment and think just, just quickly before I finish that last line. You know, if you're raised in a home where mom and dad were perfect, that didn't happen. But if you're raised in a home where mom and dad love God or attempting to do right, gave you safety, met your needs, showed you affection, if I stop there, you're better than most of the kids in the world. It really is. I've talked to missionaries in India and they talk about the fact that there's children everywhere. They've just been deserted. And to a doctor once, he was talking about polio. He said, you go to areas of India and he says, there's crippled children everywhere. Their bodies raked by polio. If you're raised in a, ha in, in a home where your mom and daddy loved each other and they took care of you and they confirmed affection upon you and maybe it wasn't as much as you wanted or maybe it was more than you wanted, but you were safe, you've got it better than most of the children historically that have ever lived on this planet. But then you add another level to that and say, man, maybe they took great care and they put some hedges in your life. I don't know, maybe they said, hey, I'm not going to enroll you in uh, this type of school. I'm going to try to keep you into a better educational prospect. Uh, I'm going to try to uh, make sure that things are 
more proper and, and we're going to seek to please God. We're going to have this type of educational. And, and you know, we're not going to, we're going to make these choices about TV. We're going to make these choices. And you've gotten all this training. Really, by the time you're 16 and 17 in life, you ought to be pretty far along if you got saved young in your Christian life. You ought to have some discernment. You ought to have the ability to be counted on. I note that what often happens to that child raised in there, they get up 16, 17 years old, mom and dad's a, an idiot, they don't know anything, they're rebellious, they don't have to talk to mom and dad, they stop coming to church, and they blame all of their problems on mom and dad in the church. You want to know the Hebrew word for that? Scorner. That's what it is. It's not Hebrew, it's English, but you get my drift. The reality is, if God has given all of this, much is required of you. You ought to be the example. Now look at this last line. Number four. Example to the lost and to the believer of what godliness is. You've been preserved. Oh my goodness. There's a lot of believers that get saved late in life and they'll look back and they regret that, it, that they were the age they were when they got saved. And they think about all the silly and foolish things that they could have been preserved for. Oh, you're raised in safety and security. And seek much like a duck that's been raised with chickens. Just as soon as it get out the barnyard, it looks for water. Well, these young people, their use of internet and social media should reflect the godly testimony in a crooked generation. You have a responsibility to be an example. An example of submission, an example of holiness. I mean, really, I best stop there because we could go on all day. Let me give you a fifth one. I think there's also, in regards to the Internet, another principle that parents should consider, and children as well, and that's the principle of progressive access. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, when I became a man, when I was a child, Spoke as a man, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. There's progressive access in life. We all know that to be a truth of life. As we age, our responsibilities change. With regard to the internet, access to website should progress with age and maturity. It's not a place that is safe for the roaming of youth. Maturity and adherence to biblical principles are safeguards that will and can and should guide us throughout adulthood. Let me add one little tidbit to this. I talk about internet should be something that should progress with age and maturity. It's not a number. Children are individually, they can have the same parents, the same mama and the same daddy, and they can age and mature differently. I've known of families where you'll have one child that at 16 you could give them the keys to the car and the house and everything was going to be okay. And then I've known of other children that are 26 and you still try to hide the keys to the house and the keys to the car with them because they have not matured. Maturity does, I know our government puts things that way. At 18, they're adults and they're supposed to be mature. Amen? That's how it works. Well, for some it probably is. For some it might be younger than 18. 
And the federal government cannot sit there and have the opportunity to know everybody uniquely. So they kind of throw a dart and say, at 16, you can go get your permit. That's what can happen. Because at 16, that's a general thing. Does that mean every 16-year-old should go out and get a driver's license and start driving on the internet? Interstep, internet interstate? <laughs> no. And that's why they'll be looking at the internet while they're driving on the interstate. No, but it does come a little bit with that. Now, as you as a parent, you just, you've got to kind of have some consistency with it. But I would encourage you, our children don't always mature at the same calendar cycle. So as they grow and mature, as they've proven themselves faithful with little, is that not God's means? He that is faithful in little shall be made. We're in a society today where if I can't be faithful with much, I'm not going to be faithful with little. Well, biblically, you're unqualified at all to have little. Progressive access. Number six, there's a principle advancing in other time-honored areas. Job 31.1, he talks about making a covenant with his eyes. I would say by that, listen, don't, don't let the allure of the digital age be the primary interaction that you or your child have. It is so addictive. Save your heart from heartbreak. Find something other than the internet to bond with. I realize there's danger in almost anything. <laughs> there's danger in throwing ball. You could tear a rotator cuff, you could put out a window, you could put out an eye. Do something else. I'm not saying don't ever. I'm saying don't make it exclusive. Don't make it the only thing in life. There are numerous and honorable areas in which you can safely spend your time. Don't let the temptation of technology become your all and all. Here's a word for you. Technophile. Technophile. You know what it means? Lover of tech. I know that that's a positive thing in its real essence. Finally, number seven, there's the principle of a testimony of Christ. Philippians 2 talks about that we shine as lights in a dark and crooked and perverse generation. It's Ephesians 4.1, that we walk worthy of the vocation. Well, I think this is proper specifically in the area of social media. The cause of Christ should be so important that we as Christians would self-monitor everything we do with wisdom. Man, before you hit post, think. You snap a picture of yourself. Take a moment. What are you dressed as? What's going on behind you? So scroll comes up. You slap like, love, embrace, whatever the little logos are, you know. They got the one that looks like the smiley face throwing up. I saw that one time. What is that smiley face doing? It's like puking its tongue out or something. It's hugging a heart, you know. Yeah, before you smack those, and practically the world can see, what are you saying? You might even want to go down to who's saying what. I see this all the time. So there'll be a quote up and somebody will smash that like button or they'll share it across their media and they did no research about what they smacked or liked or who that person is that they're... It could have been an out-and-out -out blasphemous evil person that made one statement about truth and they smashed that like button and the world knows who that person is and here you are trying to be the, the soldier of Christ and the testimony of Christ and you didn't even think for a moment that this person is the enemy of Christ and you like something the enemy said. That's a little discernment. Before you act, think. 
By the way, that's the principle of life, isn't it? Think, act, feel. Think, act, feel. Think, act, feel. So I think, is this going to post? Is this going to invest testimony of Christ? Is it wholesome? Is it good? Is it just? Is it morally pure? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, take a second. And then if it meets all those qualifications, you smash the like button if you want to. But be careful because we have to have a principle in our life to consider the testimony of Christ. Believers often say and post things without ever asking, does this advance my witness for Christ? Well, each child of God should remember that every decision of life should ultimately reflect the purity and holiness of God. You can find those verses there in 1 Peter and 1 John. Casual engagement with the world system is always the surest way to problems for the believer. Lot's life should be a lesson to every saint not to be comfortable with the evil of our society. A word to the wise. Father, Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.